Lord, one of the most amazing things uh, that uh, we get to do on a weekly basis is to hear your word preached. That time, Lord, when we come together, whether it be in homes, as is the case now, and, or whether it be in this place, but we get to sit under the ministry of the word. You have inspired this book that we all might know your mind and your heart, that we might clearly be addressed through it. Lord, that's just not a matter of gaining knowledge. That's, it's a matter of us connecting with you and hearing for ourselves your spoken word, your word to us so that we know that God has addressed my life by the work of his Holy Spirit. And Lord, that's, that's remarkable. And I pray that for every person listening today. I pray, Lord, you'll take my words, mere, words of a mere human being, uh, but Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd bring them to life as I unpack truths of Scripture so that every single person here knows that God has spoken into their life in a distinct and in a unique way. So Lord, be at work among us now by the movement of your Holy Spirit. Be at work among us. Touch us deeply, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm on, I wonder how many people today would consider themselves comfort junkies. You might not have heard the word before, or phrase before. I just made it up, I think. But you know, junkies about this idea of, of, of what, having comfort in life. It's become a real value in our society. Um, and there's so many examples of this. You know, about a year or so ago, I guess a year and a half ago, uh, Heather, my wife, and I, uh, you know, headed out to buy a new bed. Our old bed had kind of wound down. You know how that happens every decade or so, and we had to buy ourselves a bed. You know what one of the top priorities in my mind was for buying a new bed? Comfort. I wanted to go to bed at night and be comfortable. Now, in some ways, that makes a ton of sense. I heard a speaker once saying, you know, you spend a third of your life in bed. Put money into it. Buy a good one. I think that's good advice. But there it is. Comfort is a priority. Here's another little quirky thing about me. I really enjoy wearing jeans, usually at home or just, you know, out and about or whatever. But when I have a pair of jeans that wear out, is any, are any of you like this? I don't, I don't throw them out. You know, they get frayed at the end and they get all worn and sometimes dirty. Oh, I need a new pair of jeans. I go buy new jeans, but I don't tend to throw the old ones out. You know why? They're so comfortable. You know, you've washed them lots of times. You know, denim on the inside is... Is comfy and uh, kind of sh- they take a shape to your body and they're just comfort. Comfort. Know what you're sitting on right now. It's not a hard pew anymore, right? It's a comfortable padded seat. It's a blessing to a particular area of your body. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a priority. It's a value. You know, air conditioning in the summer, heating in the winter, we got to be comfortable. So what happens, my friends, when we bring the value of comfort, the priority of comfort, into our Christianity and make it comfortable? And I would suggest to you that we do this. I want to read a verse to you today. It's the verse of the series that we're in in the Not a Fan campaign. And for those of you who may be visiting with us today, I'm preaching on material that's similar to what small groups are discussing during the week as they study together in homes and otherwise. But the central verse to the series is this. Jesus speaking, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he, Jesus, said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily 
and follow me. You know, pick up their cross and follow Jesus. What do we do with the cross when we are so keen on comfort? Ever thought about that? The truth is that uh, we tend to not give it a ton of attention in terms of practical living. We kind of push it away. We don't give it great priority in our lives. Tend even not to think about it very much. And I'm going to use an illustration. I don't want anybody to feel offended or if I see you wearing this after the service, you feel badly. But a lot of us wear crosses on, our, on, on chains, or necklaces and so forth. Um, and it looks pretty. That's why it's jewelry. Uh, it gives us kind of warm, mushy feelings. Do you know, if somebody in the first century came here today and saw someone wearing a cross around their neck, they would think we're out of our minds. Because then it was a symbol of crucifixion. It was a, it was a symbol of capital punishment. It would be like us wearing you know, an electric chair around our necks. Or, you know, or the needle with, lethal, with the lethal dose inside. They go, what are you doing that for? I don't get that. It would seem silly to them, if not absolutely weird. Another thing that churches do, and I'll tell you the truth, we did this for a good season in our, the life of, of our church, but they, they speak a lot about the felt needs of people. <clears throat> and they'll say the gospel is all about you, know, you, know, you dealing well with your emotions and getting healthy in that, or having a good marriage, or giving you a sense of self-esteem, and all these things that um, are going to give us a better life. It's all in the attempt, and it's well-intentioned, in, in, in an attempt to attract people who don't believe in Jesus to come to understand the, the good implications of following Christ. But the bottom line is that, and the truth is, that the cross is a tough sell. It really is. Who is eager to use Jesus' words to pick up a cross and follow him? You know, I heard the story of a really well-known um, pastor uh, years and years ago now it's never left me and he was in a different part of the world i think it was south africa if i'm not mistaken but he was there and he was preaching and he was calling people to follow christ come and follow jesus the son of god has come he's died on the cross for your sin you can be forgiven of your sin you can be reconciled to god all of this wonderful by the way you you can have god in your life to to love you and to protect you and to provide for you and when you die you'll go to heaven just talking about all the benefits well, after he finished speaking, <clears throat> a young man came up to him, so the story goes, and this young man said to him, uh, Pastor, if you were preaching in the first century in Rome, for example, and you were calling people to follow Jesus, to believe in him and you know, to follow after him, to commit their lives to him, to enter into a relationship, to identify as a Christian, Would you mention the fact that if they were to believe in Jesus, that the next day it's very, very possible, if not likely, that they would be arrested? That they would be beaten? That they very possibly could have been sewn into the skins of animals, thrown into the Colosseum, where lions were released so that they would be torn limb from limb? Would you mention that before you ask people to follow Jesus? This this pastor said he thought about that uh, seriously. And he said it would change forever the way he would evangelize, the way he would invite people to follow Jesus. And here's the point today. As we define the difference between a fan and a follower of Christ, a fan of Jesus and one who actually follows him, 
in the way of Luke chapter 9 when he says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Fans make Christianity comfortable. Followers embrace the cross. Fans make Christianity comfortable. Followers embrace the cross. Let me read to you a verse from 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at a couple of verses in this text uh, today. But it's chapter 1, uh, verse 18. Paul is speaking. Of course, he's, he's writing to the Corinthian church. Paul, the great leader of the church in the first century, uh, after Jesus had died and, and, and been raised and the church was forming. He says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, the, the message is foolishness to those who are perishing. People who don't believe, people certainly who don't understand, but to us, we who are being saved, we are, who are the, in the family of God, it is the power of God to us. See, that, in that day, Literally, to everyone, not just believing people, the cross symbolized weakness first and foremost, and then humiliation and defeat. Because, of course, that's where you ended up if you were weak and humiliated because you would be on the cross and you would be defeated. Your cause would end, such as many thought of Jesus immediately after his death. And the idea that God had come in Christ, the Son of God, and that he would die on a cross... Weak, humiliated, defeated was absurdity to people. It was foolishness. The foolishness of the cross in the minds of many folk. But I want to tell you what happened in the death of Jesus. God took this thing, the cross, and through it, he produced the power of salvation. It was the most powerful act that God has ever done. See, Jesus embraced defeat. He embraced it to produce victory over sin and death and hell. He took guilt upon himself. Guilt to produce a grace which would create righteousness in you and me in the eyes of God. He took suffering. He embraced this thing called suffering. It hurt him. It was painful. It was difficult so that people might have hope for eternity and even in this life. He experienced death to produce life. See, the moment of God's greatest weakness in Christ on the cross became the moment of his greatest strength and power. From one perspective, what he did was absolute foolishness. From another perspective, it was the incredible wisdom and truth of God. And what Jesus did on the cross, we are invited. He asks us to embrace in our lives. Hmm. Some of you might be sitting back and thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't get, I didn't sign up for that, Chris. Maybe somebody wasn't clear with you at the beginning. But I need to be. Another verse, 1 Corinthians uh, 1.27 says this. I love this verse. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Think about it. I could, give, I could stand here for the whole time I'm intended to preach today and give you examples from the Bible. Let me give you some. Abraham and Sarah, people well past the age where they could bear children or have a child. They were weak. 
in their elderly years. God did something remarkable and produced a son who would produce another son, and they would produce a nation named Israel through which the person of Jesus would be born into the world. Weakness was the beginning of it. You know, think, think of the reality of, of Jacob, the deceiver, the liar, the manipulator. God chose him, and God used him not only to reveal himself, but again to carry on that line. Think about Moses, the man that God sent to Pharaoh to free the people of Israel from slavery. A stutterer. He couldn't speak well. To go and speak to Pharaoh, the power, most powerful man in the land. Weakness, chosen. Think about Jeremiah, the prophet who was depressed a lot. Um, think about Jonah, the one who disobeyed God, but who in the end was used powerfully to turn an entire city to faithfulness to God. The Samaritan woman, the woman with multiple failed marriages who was used to evangelize, to witness to many who came to follow Jesus, came to believe in him. Peter, the hot-headed uh, fisherman who came to lead the Jerusalem church with Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus. See, all started in weakness. But they discovered through the work of God in them the power of God being displayed to this world and the work of God being done powerfully through them. I want to tell you, my friends, it is as we acknowledge our weakness and as we humble ourselves before God, just as Jesus did on the cross, and as we put ourselves in uh, that position of weakness and humility, that God's strength is displayed through us. Another great text, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I've read this, this passage to you, you know, quite a bit actually, and I hope it has had real power in your life, impact in your life. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 and 10. And I'm in 1 Corinthians. That wouldn't make sense at all. Here we go. Verse 9 and 10, it says this. Three times I, this is again Paul, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. This what he called a thorn in the flesh. But he, the Lord God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. And say it, please. Weakness. Doesn't make sense, but that's the reality. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for the, Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. I delight in weakness? In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I want to tell you, my friends, there, there's probably no one in this room who naturally, normally delights in their weaknesses. Who does that? Who wants to do that? You know, you go to a job interview and, and they sit you down and, and, you know, you're wanting to make a good impression. And, of course, they ask you about your strengths. And that's easy. You know, I'll tell you all about it. You know, I'm such a great guy and I'm able in various ways. And then, you know, the next question, it's coming. And you've prepared for it because you've been through this before. They say, well, tell me about some of your weaknesses. 
you know what we do? We tell them about something that's not really a weakness, it's a strength. Oh, I can, I can work way too much. Or, some, or you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I can be too conscientious. You know, you dream something up that turns it around to delight in strength. Right? Nobody actually goes and tells them the truth. Well, to tell you, know, you know, my, my weakness, I'm never on time. Um, I, 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 I'm really quite self-centered and I'm a terrible team player. Right? Like nobody says this. <laughs> you know, I struggle to tell the truth. <laughs> nobody delights in weakness. We hide our weaknesses from one another even. Now, we shouldn't if we live in the context of grace. You know that, right? Followers of Jesus, we should be open with our sinfulness that other people might support us and strengthen us and pray for us. We sometimes don't even share our, our heartache, our brokenness, so that others can bear one another's burdens. No, we hide these things. It's an indication that we don't really believe in grace, by the way, or that we are not living in a context of grace because people would judge us if that's the case. I don't think that's the case here, but we do it naturally, easily. See, here's the reality, my friends. God says to us, admit your weaknesses. Delight in your weaknesses. Another translation says, take pleasure in your weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest on you. Delight in, take pleasure in, be pleased with insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Did you hear that? Take pleasure in persecution. Take, take delight in being insulted. Celebrate, if you would, being in those really tough spots in life where you would say, I'm in hardship. Why? Because if you will do that, the power of Christ will rest upon us. Upside down, isn't it? Foolishness to most. For when I am weak, Paul writes, then I am strong. You know, most people, when they read that verse, and I did it for a long time in my life, for when I am weak, I, I kind of assume it's talking about then I, Jesus, am strong. It's not what it says. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, you see the strength that God displayed on Christ on the cross? The power that he unleashed in the world? The overcoming of evil? That destructive force that's still at work in this world of ours? He did it through weakness. Jesus said, pick up your cross. Pick up this life of weakness and humiliation, potentially, and defeat. And I will be at work in a powerful way. And you know, what does this mean for us? Well, look at Jesus. He gave up pride and embraced humility. You know, we have to give up this idea that I'm capable and I'm able and I can do it all myself. And we have to embrace an, a humility. And sometimes, yes, even humiliation. We have to give up comfort. Was Jesus comfortable on the cross? No. Huge sacrifice. Painful experience. Profoundly troubling experience. We at times need to do the same. Give up the praise of people. You know, your reputation looking good in the eyes of others. Jesus certainly did that. So even so that people come to despise you, as they did Jesus, give up control of your life, as Jesus did. Not my will, but yours be done, he prayed. 
See, none of this is easy. None of this is fun. None of this is comfortable. So what do we do? Well, what's really important in your life? Your reputation, people thinking highly of you, or God's? Are you willing to let go of reputation? If you identify with Jesus and experience suffering persecution? Um, People might look down on you, but if they see love and humility played out as Christ played out love and humility, they will end up looking at God, and that's more important. Are we willing, my friends, to give up control in our lives? Not what I want, Father, but what you want, Jesus prayed. How about you right now? What does the Lord ask of you? What is his will for your life? And don't assume it's always comfortable. Like, that's the point. (laughs) It might be painful. It might require incredible sacrifice to follow Jesus. But are you willing to give up that control and say, not my will, Father, but yours be done? How about the idea of giving up comfort in life? That too will accomplish God's work in many instances. You see, we become strong when we become weak. When we pick up the cross daily as Jesus did on Golgotha. My friends, honestly, to be a fan is to choose a very comfortable Christianity. I want you to hear this. Following Jesus is never comfortable Christianity. There are times it's wonderful and good, but it's never only that. It's some, that is something other than true, authentic Christ following. See, Jesus, yes, invites us to pick up a cross and to follow him and to live the life that he lived in the foolishness of God. It's hard at times. It's painful at times. It requires sacrifice at times. Hmm. But it produces an incredible result. You know, there are even aspects of following Jesus written into Scripture, instructions that were given to train us in uncomfortableness. Now, let's give you a few examples. Jesus said, when I'm gone, speaking to his disciples, My people will fast. You don't have to do it now, guys, but do it later. Anybody love fasting? Anybody find it comfortable thing? You know, I've done it. I'm not doing it right now, but it's a spiritual discipline. It's a practice that teaches us something essential about following Jesus. And it's miserable in a way. It doesn't feel good. You're a little lightheaded after a while. You don't eat. You can fast in other ways. You can give up screen time. You can give up desserts. You can give up whatever. But it's not a lot of fun. And it's an actual training. (laughs) It's a training in picking up the cross. It's an enablement so that when other difficult, painful opportunities, challenges come along, we're going to be in a better position to do it because we've done it. How about tithing? You know that little phrase, give till it hurts? That's really... In many instances, what it is for people to give 10% of their income to God. A lot of people, oh, I'm not doing that. That's not comfortable. I don't like that idea. <laughs> and the question comes back, but what is following Jesus all about? Your idea or God's, right? Not my will be done, but yours, Father. 
And, you know, we learn to give until it hurts. We learn to give substantially to God. And, and, and then we see God move in our lives and God provide for us. And we discover faith that we didn't have before because God is active, real, powerful in our experience. You know, I'll tell you, if you've never fasted and you've never tithed, you are missing out significantly on what it means to follow Jesus. How about serving? Serving. You know, I've talked a ton about serving. Even this past summer, we did a whole series on it. So that God's will gets done. Oh, I, I don't want to go and sit with kids and teach them. I, I'd rather sit in service. It's not relevant, people. I mean, I'm just being really honest with you. It's not relevant if God's will is that you teach children. Even right now, we're looking for one person per week that we might offer children's ministry four weeks in a month. One person. And it might cause some of you to suffer, in a sense. It might cause some of you to have to sacrifice in order to do it. Guess what happens if you're willing? When I am weak, then you will be strong. And God will use you. I don't, it doesn't matter with children's ministry or youth, well, teenagers, oh, I, I would, I'd rather, you know, <laughs> anything, please. But if it's God's will for you, it doesn't matter what you want. I'm just being really honest with you here, right? I'm trying to open your eyes to see the reality of what it means to not be a fan, but to be a follower, a committed, passionate follower of Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about the will of God. The Father who sent Christ to the cross in spite of the sacrifice and the suffering and the, the apparent weakness. This is what it means to follow Jesus. You know, I even think about worship. You know, I think I might have said since the days of Moses. No, I didn't. <laughs> Reference something else. But since God's people formed in large numbers, he said, I, I, I command you to come together in my presence and and, and, and to worship me. What does that mean? What it means is that we come together and we fellowship with God. We encounter God. Are you right now? You know that we come together, God says, and we celebrate each other. This is an expression of joy and gladness in the presence of God, remembering what he's done for us and remembering what we can do for him. We come into his presence and we, we, we hear his voice. As I hope you're hearing his voice somehow through this very human, fallible sermon, I guess, that I'm preaching. I'm trying hard. You know, I don't know what's going to happen in church broadly or at IPC when COVID's over. I don't know. We've really got into a habit of disengagement, as I said. I totally get it, and I would never encourage people to come back until they're ready. That's, you know, completely up to individual folks. But once it's all said and done, trusting that happens, will we be content to sit at home in the comfort? We bought a couch lately. It's really comfortable. <laughs> In the, on, the, on the comfy couch with the coffee cup and our PJs, listen to Chris speak, are we going to enter into the presence of God again? Are we going to return? Are we going to re-engage church? In the way God calls us to, it is his will that we worship him. You know, I could go on. I don't want to go on with those things, but I, I want to make this relevant in your life, and I, I long to ask you in, in really simple terms, are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? I'll tell you how you know. 
And I invite you to be really honest with yourself. Are you embracing sacrifice in any way? Have you or do you suffer for Jesus? Do you experience discomfort as his follower? And as a result, have you discovered the power of Christ resting on you? The power of God resting upon you and working through you. It's really quite simple. That's a, that's a yay or a nay, right? And I guess in the end, what I long for is for everyone to realize what Jesus calls them to. And me. It's, it's, it's clear. Following Jesus is not always fun and games. Sometimes it's hard and it's difficult. And at times, yes, there are insults and there are persecutions. Jesus also said, when you're persecuted for me in my name, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven will be great. See, it's part of the package. Here's what I think. And this is, I guess, conjecture based on everything I've spoken. If we will embrace what's being described today as picking up your cross daily in order to follow, our lives would be revolutionized. We would really think differently about what we do and what we don't do. We would take ourselves off center and put God there. Say, Lord, tell me your will, just as Jesus did. He knew the will of God, but he struggled to embrace it as a human being. Sometimes we struggle to embrace it, yes, but you know what? In the end of the day, Jesus went to the cross to do the will of God. My friends, my heart's desire is that you will no longer be a fan if indeed that's what you have been. And that you will enter into following Jesus. I'm dead serious. It's time for us in the Christian church, if we are going to ever see God move powerfully in this culture, and in our homes, and in our workplaces, in our schools, we've got to move away from this idea of comfortable Christianity refuse it and embrace the cross. Let's pray. Lord, what a sobering message this is. What a sobering thing Jesus spoke. And Lord, it calls us to something. It calls us to a serious consideration of our own lives. Lord, we don't want to be we don't want to be something less than what you desire for us. We don't want to misunderstand, Lord, what it means to follow Jesus. We want to know what it is and to embrace it intentionally. And Lord, deal with the challenges and the difficulties, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions which might come. Lord, I pray that we as a church will take the example of Jesus, embracing your will and going to the cross, suffering and dying for us as our example of what it means to follow him. God, I pray for people here who are here today who claim the name of Christ, who, who, who believe in him, yes, with all of their hearts, that, Lord, you'll speak your will into their lives, and I pray that we will be willing to live in obedience and in faith, no matter what that might look like. Give us the grace, our God. Give us the wisdom. Give us the strength that we need to embrace weakness for you. In Jesus' name that we pray these things.
Oh, man.